Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondak, and today I'll be speaking to Peter Wentz about his new book, Take Back the Center, Progressive Taxation for a New Progressive Agenda. Peter Wentz is Emeritus Professor of Philosophy at the University of Illinois at Springfield and University Scholar at the University of Illinois. He's the author of Beyond Red and Blue, How 12 Political Philosophies Shape American Debates, which was published by the MIT Press, and other books. Peter Wentz, thanks so much for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure being here. How would you describe the center you refer to in your title? Well, the center are people who are willing to use real evidence, the best evidence available to us, before they make a judgment on an issue. Um, For example, the center would be uh, John McCain when he is fact-based about global warming. Uh, a lack of center would be people who reject uh, global warming in spite of uh, scientific evidence. Uh, the center would be uh, Bob Dole when he thought that it was irresponsible to give away the uh, broadcast band uh, to uh, telecommunications companies instead of selling them in order to uh, work on our national debt. The lack of center would be uh, people who uh, claim that they worry about national debt, but actually uh, are very willing to give away money to uh, rich corporations and to rich individuals through their, their tax base. So it's, it's thinking uh, consistently and uh, with uh, good evidence. One of the things, though, in the early part when you talk about the center is I got a sense that there's almost a golden age of centrism, kind of in post-war America, really up until, some would say, the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, was that golden age kind of a one-off, simply because if had we gone to, like I guess, pre-World War II America, there would have been the divisions that we see now since the 80s? Or was that really kind of a very strong American tradition that we've lost since, again, the late 70s, early 80s? Well, I'd say it's been up and down through uh, U.S. history. Uh, There was, in the early 19th century, the so-called era of good feeling, when uh, in the Madison administration, for example, people uh, seemed to be agreeing on major policy matters. Um, On the other hand, uh, before uh, the Civil War, shortly before the Civil War, uh, there were extremes greater than we have today, which, of course, resulted in civil war. Uh, so the period uh, which you mentioned after World War II, the generation there, um, was just one example of some others of uh, people coming towards the center. And we could, so we can look forward to that again. I don't think it was a one-off. The subtitle of the book, Take Back the Center, is Progressive Taxation for a New Progressive Agenda. One of the criticisms that one hears about uh, increasing progressive taxation is that as you increase the tax rates at the top end of the income bracket, you're going to diminish economic growth. Has that been your findings? Are there studies that back that up? Is there a relationship between those two things? Well, recent studies have have shown yet again that there is no uh, significant relationship between a uh, highly progressive tax system and a high rate at the top end and a diminishment of economic growth. In fact, uh, we know, for example, that during the Eisenhower administration, the top tax uh, bracket was 91%. Uh, It was uh, 70% still when the Ronald Reagan took office 
Uh, yet during the 1950s and 60s, when the rate was between 91% and 71%, as opposed to the 35 we have now, uh, economic growth was considerably greater uh, than it has been recently. In the first decade of this century, uh, since the Bush tax cuts uh, cut the rate, the top rate, uh, there has been no great uh, increase in economic growth. Uh, Similarly, during the Reagan administration, when the top rate was lowered as, as far as 28%. So, no, there is no uh, correlation between lowering the top rate and economic growth. In fact, economic growth in the 1990s was particularly robust after the Clinton administration raised taxes on the, uh, the wealthiest people by uh, increasing uh, the top rate. So, as you stated, there's, there's no correlation, really, between... Uh higher tax rates at the top end of the income bracket and economic growth. No relationship really between them. So let's talk about the cases for progressive taxation. Can a moral case be made for higher progressive taxes? Well, yes, there are several ways of arguing morally for higher uh, progressive taxation. One is that many people who earn millions of dollars in the United States uh, and many industries in which those people work actually uh, manage to get so wealthy through means that are underhanded. Uh, for example, uh, CEO salaries have increased dramatically in the last couple of decades without any reason to believe that CEOs have some, somehow become more productive than they were a few, gen uh, a, a few decades ago. Uh, rather, they have become uh, more wealthy through old boy networks, um, people sitting on one another's compensation committees. Similarly, whole industries, the pharmaceutical industry, as uh, Dr. Marsha uh, Angel has uh, pointed out in some of her work, uh, put out products which make them very wealthy, but that really uh, do not enhance uh, human health. The um, tobacco industry became very wealthy by duping the public about the effects of tobacco. The um, oil and gas and, and automobile and, auto and road construction industries have been denying uh, global warming for years in order to promote their products. So a lot of wealth has been gathered by people uh, duping the public. In addition, many of these uh, fortunes are made through manipulating government with high campaign contributions. People can get government favors, which give them enormous wealth. Uh, the extension of patents uh, so that uh, monopolies can be uh, retained longer in uh, pharmaceuticals, for example. The underpricing of water, public water, in the southwest and west the underpricing of mineral rights uh, in in many parts of the country rights to extract minerals from federal lands so in many ways the federal government has favored people and that's why they are so rich and also uh, many people become rich because they simply cheat poorer people who are their workers there's good statistical evidence that on average, uh, poorer workers, people, for example, who work at big box stores such as Walmart, not only are paid poorly to begin with, but very often, 
shockingly often, their time cards are actually altered to further diminish their pay. In addition to the fact that uh, many people uh, who become rich become rich in, uh, by underhanded means, there are people uh, who become rich uh, by really helping the public. This does exist. However, the help that they provide is underwritten by the accumulation of societal information that they rely upon and infrastructure that they rely upon. Uh, for example, uh, Bill Gates at, at Microsoft, uh, Jeff Bezos at, at Amazon, these people have provide a real service, but they can provide that service because uh, someone at, at government expense created computers and created the Internet, which these people use. So one reason to tax them highly is that people should, generally speaking, pay for what they receive. Another criticism that is often laid at the government's feet is, you know, even if we were to increase revenues through progressive taxation or whatever sort of revenue increasing system that we had, you know, government would just waste it simply because government does not spend things efficiently. What's your response to that? I think you've kind of given that response with the issue of, with the question about public goods with a man with men like Jeff Bezos and uh, and Bill Gates. But I was wondering if you could take that maybe a step further. Certainly. Uh, in the first place, large organizations, government and non-government, have a tendency to become insular and thereby be inefficient. The important thing is the degree to which uh, decision makers are accountable for their good and bad decisions. We've seen in the private sector a great deal of inefficiency. Uh, healthcare, for example, is incredibly inefficient uh, in the United States. The Institute of Medicine came out with a report recently saying that basically $750 billion are lost each year through inefficiency in healthcare, which, as you know, is provided primarily by private uh, providers of, of healthcare. Our uh, finance industry, we needed this enormous bailout because these people whose basic job is simply to allocate capital to its most productive use have so messed up the system in an attempt to get individual profit for themselves that they had to be bailed out many times. We saw this again uh, previously in the 1980s with the uh, savings and loan bailout uh, being needed. So while it's true that sometimes government is is inefficient. Uh, sometimes government is much more efficient than uh, private enterprise because often the uh, public servant is more accountable through elections or the election of their boss than the person in private enterprise is uh, through a uh, accountability to a board whom he or she has selected and therefore has reduced accountability. In addition, there is more efficiency in the public sector, partly because if we have underinvested in infrastructure, then that investment will actually give a greater return because it is the missing link or the weak link in the chain that provides productive activity.
So, for example, if we have a poor transportation system, then the public providing better transportation options will actually boost productivity in society and therefore be more efficient on a dollar-for-dollar basis than a tax breaks for people at any level of uh, income uh, because those people will be constrained by the poor infrastructure. You know, there's been a lot of press during this election season of 2012 that this is as stark a choice as the American public has faced an electorate about the, 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 the relationship between the American citizenry and its government. I'm curious, do you agree with that assessment? Is the choice between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, I guess, as stark a choice between two different visions of America as we've seen for quite a while? Well, if one were to judge by the primaries, one would think it's an extremely stark choice. But when it comes to actually governing, we don't know what Mitt Romney would do. He has been all over the map, uh, as is common. He has moved towards the center for the general election from what he did during the primaries. Republicans, uh, Democrats do this as well, moving from left to center as Republicans do from right to center. So it's not clear um, whether this is as stark a choice as the rhetoric would suggest that it is. However... If Romney were to stick to his rhetoric during the primary, then this would be indeed a very stark choice uh, because uh, Romney would uh, basically disinvest in public services at the federal level. For example, if you look at his earlier quotes, uh, he would have uh, reduced the size of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, which has now been so instrumental in responding to Hurricane Sandy in the northeast of the United States. Uh, He would not have had the auto bailout, um, claiming that the private money, which no one thinks was really available, uh, would have saved the auto industry. So we really would not have had an auto industry, or we will not have that next industry that needs uh, government help. He would... uh, reduce regulations on the financial sector, courting the same kind of disaster that we are still suffering from. So if you were to follow in in the line that he's saying, for example, not uh, increasing taxes on wealthy people or on anyone else, uh, we would be starved at the federal level for funds, and the middle class would certainly uh, be hurt with a lack of funds for those government programs, such as college loans and things, which most affect the middle class, or our federal debt would become even more dangerously high than it is. So if he were to follow through, yes, it's a very stark choice. That's Mitt Romney. Should President Obama be reelected? I don't think it's any secret that although he has definitely spoken deeply to progressive and populist values during this election season, if we were to go back a few years, progressives weren't exactly enchanted with some of his decisions. So if he were reelected, where would this energy for a progressive taxation come from, given that if his first term is any indication, President Obama certainly is closer to progressive ideals than the Republican Party, but he certainly hasn't necessarily shown himself to be a progressive champion, at least according to members of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Well, I think that's true according to uh, President Obama's own writings as well as his history of performance. He's a moderate. Uh, The fact that he has been uh, portrayed as an extremist, a socialist, those are the people who are not part of the same center who make those claims. Um, 
President Obama is uh, someone who would like some greater progressivity in the tax code, for example. He would like to have some more money available at the federal level, especially when the recovery takes hold. But he has not yet championed the full repeal of the Bush tax cuts that were due to expire at the end of 2010 and which are again after a two-year extension due to expire at the end of this year. What he would do if reelected is uncertain. I think uh, the Republicans have so convinced American voters that somehow they can have government services, which, by the way, most Americans still want. Even Tea Party people are polled to want their Medicare, for example, and Social Security. But people have been so convinced that they can have these things without raising taxes that it is very difficult, even for an incumbent president, especially one facing re-election, to take a strong stand that is evidence-based. Uh, that we really need more tax revenues and therefore more progressivity. However, if uh, he is reelected, President Obama will not have to face reelection again, and he might take a bolder stand. Um, and the Republicans will no longer have the incentive of denying him a second term to avoid being um, realistic about the possibilities. So it may be that the Republicans will. Um, see that, for example, the same center Simpson-Bowles proposals uh, could be a, a starting point for discussion. Um, even so, I think it is the case that someone um, more progressive than Obama will nevertheless be somewhat disappointed with Obama. But the, his initiatives, for example, in renewable energy um, will still be very different than what we would have with a Republican administration. Peter Wentz, the author of Take Back the Center, Progressive Taxation for a New Progressive Agenda. Thanks so much for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mitpress. Or you can follow us on Twitter, where we are at mitpress. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2012, the MIT Press. All rights reserved.